the passage we, I was given for today is Ephesians 2, but you've got probably most of the sermon to turn to that. Um, the subject is for church, a dwelling place for God. Uh, and so I want to begin by looking at, uh, oh, I had to click this one. Um, why God wants to dwell with his people and um, why uh, we should look at this as a topic. God loves being with his people. Uh, we see this in Genesis. He made man in his own image. Uh, he says, let us create man in our own likeness. Um, and he puts man in a garden, a beautiful garden, and he gives him authority over every creature and plants. And he says, you can eat any of it but for one tree, and he gives them the law. Uh, he also spends time talking with his people. He goes and says to man, you can name the animals. Uh, and we see in uh, Genesis 3 that God walks in the garden and communicates with Adam and Eve. Um, it says in Psalm 45:11 that God's desire is for his people. And Jeremiah 30 says... God yearns for his people. So God loves being with his people. When he's not with his people, he longs to be with them again. Um, we also see, even in the garden, when Adam and Eve are perfect, that it's something that God has to initiate. Um, Isaiah says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. And there's nothing that we can do to get to God. If you imagine trying to get uh, to talk to the queen, um, you might um, you might even have got a good reason to talk to the queen. Um, I don't know um, what that would be, but um, you're not going to get through the guards at Buckingham Palace, and you're not going to get into heaven to talk to God. So it's something God has to come down and dwell with his people. We can't go up and dwell with him. Uh, we're going to look through at uh, how God comes to dwell with his people. And first is Adam and Eve in the garden. Uh, he does this um, as friends. Um, Adam and Eve are God's people, and they dwell under his law and under his blessing. You see that he gives them the one rule, which is, uh, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of uh, good and evil. And as long as they obey that law, they're his people and they get to dwell in this beautiful garden he's made. But there's some problems with this first uh, way that God plans to dwell with his people. First is God isn't always in the garden with them. Uh, we see this in Genesis 2 where the man is lonely um, and so uh, he makes Eve to live with Adam. Um, we also see it in Genesis 3 that God is walking in the garden in the cool of the day, which implies he isn't there for all of the day. And um, he has to call out for the man and for Eve. He's not with them all the time. And that's a problem if uh, we're made to dwell with God and he's not always there. And it's also a fragile temple because it relies on 
its uh, tenants being totally sinless. Adam and Eve had to be perfect to stay in the garden. And when they failed, they were kicked out. And so we go through some history and we get to God's next way he dwells with his people. That is the tabernacle. And in Exodus 25, verse 8, God says to Moses, Let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell in their midst. And he says, I will dwell among the people of Israel, and I will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Israel, that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. And what we find with this, it's actually a stronger meeting place because the way they meet with God uh, relies on something else, and it doesn't rely on the people being absolutely 100% perfect. It relies on the temple sacrifices. Um, And so when the people sin, and they will, um, they have a sacrificial system. They would bring a lamb or a goat, and once a year a bull, and all sorts of different fluffy creatures. Uh, and they would slaughter them to take away the sin of the people. It had other advantages. The tabernacle was a visible sign that God was with his people. If you were in the camp of the Jews, um, you could look to the tabernacle and say, God is with us. But it has some problems also. It's just a tent, and David sees it. He says, it's not grand enough. Uh, if you have problems, it moves round. So um, for people and God's tr- dwelling has no permanent presence. And for people have to get the system right if they're going to dwell with God in this way. Leviticus 10 tells the story of Aaron's two sons. Um, I can't remember their names, so we'll go read it. Now Nahab and Abidu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put it in the fire and laid incense on it and offered it in an unauthorized way, fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. They probably meant to do the right thing. They thought... um, there's not enough fire being offered today or something like that. So they go and they bring an offering to God, but it's the wrong one. It's not something he's asked for. And they've broken his commandment and gone into his presence in the wrong way. And they perish for that. And so there are problems with the tabernacle too. So we move on. I must remember to click that. Uh, we come to a temple, and this has some advantages over the tabernacle. It's got a permanent location where God has promised that his people should dwell in Jerusalem. Um, and it's built by Solomon to be beautiful and glorious and to reflect some of the beauty and glory of God dwelling with his people. And it's in the center of the people, so everyone knows where they're to go but it still relies on this daily sacrificial system. And no one can get close. Um, for people who can get closest to the priests and the Levites, but actually um, the temple was built in sections, and each time you had a section that everyone could get in. Then you had a section that 
only Jewish people could get in. Then you had a section only men could get in and a section only priests could get in. And then the holy place where no one could go except one man once a year. And they tied a rope to his foot so that if it all went wrong, they could drag him out dead. So no one could get close. And it relies on the upkeep of wayward, sinful people. Uh, We see in 2 Kings 22 that Josiah is in the temple. Uh, He's um, got his priests to uh, clear out the temple because it's been so disused over so many years. It's just an empty building. And they find among the rubble the book of the law. Um, And you find eventually after that it's destroyed when Jerusalem is sacked and uh, Nehemiah has to rebuild it. Um, That's great. And you read the first chapters of Nehemiah and it's a great story. But you get to the end of that book and Nehemiah goes back and he's found out that uh, a man who opposes the temple and everything God stands for has taken up residence inside it. Um, and by the end of Nehemiah's life, the people are turned just back to where they are and the temple is neglected and it gets destroyed again. And then a man called Herod, who is an evil king, builds the next temple. Uh, so there has to be a better way. And um, to cheer us up, I've thought of um, a way of explaining this next point. Um, this is going to be a case of guess for picture. Anyone know what that is? It's not a wave breaking, but it's a waterfall, yes. Okay, anyone know what this one is? Aberystwyth. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> Any ideas? Hair. No, it's not hair. It's not a wave. It's not glass. No. It, it's not ice. It, it, it's quite gross, really. It's um, in a local river to us. Um, the so diesel and stuff off the hills gets put into these slicks. Uh, and so it's um, diesel on a river. This one. It's a car. No. It's not. And that is the right answer, but you don't realise where you are today. And so there's only one right answer. Does anyone know the right answer? Yes. Jesus. Yes, it's it's Jesus. The right answer in church is always Jesus. Okay. So when we're talking about about the temple and where God's presence dwells, Jesus is the one who perfectly displays God's presence when he comes. He is Emmanuel, God dwelling with the people. And he is a temple that finally cannot fail. He's God, he's sinless, he's perfect. Um, he's eternal, and he can't sin, and so he is the perfect priest who can bring us into God's presence. But there's a problem here too, and we don't normally get this part in the sermon, so this might be heresy. Um, 
Jesus says, I have not come to stay. I'm going away, and where I'm going, you cannot follow me. And when I go, you can't come. And Jesus didn't come. He came for 30 years. And then he was back up to heaven. So what do we do then? How do we dwell with God when he's gone back to heaven and we can't follow him? And he also doesn't fulfill God's plan to fill the world with his glory. That's why he says to the people, greater things you will do than me. Because he came to Jerusalem. He never traveled out of his country. And God's plan was to fill the world with his glory. And so we come to the answer. And that is the church, is how God wants to dwell with his people. And so how will the church stand up? Well, it's God's people, and he's filled them with his spirit. He says in Joel that he's going to pour out his spirit on his people. And so um, unlike the uh, people who lived under the law and struggled, he's actually come to dwell with them in a different way, a special way. Um, And they're under uh, a new covenant, a covenant of Jesus' work, not their own. Um, And so it's a temple of God's dwelling that cannot fail. So we look at the church uh, versus God come to dwell with his people and this time it's not going to fail. Not like the temple, not like the tabernacle and not like the garden. So I guess you should look at how it works. Well, God's presence is in the church and it's not in the individual. God does dwell in each of us with his spirit but actually when he talks about there are verses that we misread, like in Ephesians, where it says, um, if, you, uh, if, if you sin and damage the temple that God has given you, your body, um, you damage for God's holy temple. And I've always read that as you, but as an individual, because we don't have a word that is plural for you. The Bible and the Greek actually has a word that is you, plural. And so we quite quickly make verses about God dwelling with us, about me. And actually he says, I've come to dwell with you as a whole. Uh, And so God's dwelling is with all his people. God comes to dwell in a church built together, not in the individual Apart, and so if we turn to Ephesians two, that's Corinthians, and towards the end of the chapter, uh, we'll start at verse eleven. Therefore, remember, at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, what is made by the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from God, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants and the promise. That's the temples that God made to all of his people. Having no hope and without God in the world. But now 
In Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who made us both one and has broken down the flesh for dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create for himself one new man in the place of the two, making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into one holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by his spirit. And so Paul says to the church, um, you're being built together into this dwelling place for God. It's not about the individual. It's not about um, me on my own journey to heaven and I meet up once a week with everyone else. He's saying, no, the cross is about building a people for God. It's about building a community, a family of God. The cross is not about me being saved. It's about us all being saved. And the spirit is not about me having the strength to get through my day. The spirit comes so that we have a strength to build one another up. And so you can't expect to go through life by yourself, turning up at church but not in community, saying good morning and then goodbye, and then have the Spirit, because the Spirit comes in the community. Mm. That's what this passage is saying, Um, that God dwells in here. That's what makes church special. Mm. Uh, This is where we meet God, and this is where his Spirit comes to meet us. and I think we can make it too much about me and my walk and not enough about how's so-and-so doing or how are each other doing. Uh, God meets with us and we can't expect to walk alone in that. But this is also a church open to corruption. Um, what you had to see is that all these letters in the New Testament wouldn't have been written to a perfect church. Um, and in Thessalonians, Paul writes to them, don't quench the spirit and don't despise prophecy. Uh, basically saying, don't. there are things you can do and ways you can live that are actually pushing God out. God wants to dwell with us. But if we don't dwell with each other, then there's no temple for him to dwell in. It's a temple, God says he does not dwell in temple made by 
people or human hands, but he's building himself here, a temple. And it's not built out of just you. I am not the temple. Um, I'm just one of the bricks. And God is not going to sit on a brick. He wants to dwell in his temple. But the good news is that it's the temple strengthened by the Spirit. He says he holds it together in his Spirit. And it is bought by the blood of the Lamb. We can look at the other temples, the uh, garden and the tabernacle and the temple, and we can see, uh, we can look at them and think they all failed. What's going to happen to the church? Um, God's promise is that his church won't fail and he'll build his church and nothing will stand against it. Jesus says, I'll be, build my church. The others failed actually because God wanted us to see what was not perfect about them. God wanted us to see that there was something better. And that's his church. He wants to dwell with his people in them. And we're saved by the blood of the Lamb that can never fail. There's no sense of, um, like the old temple routine of today's sacrifice for today's sin. Sin is covered once and for all. And so we're brought together, made one people. Here, uh, Paul is actually talking about the biggest divide in Ephesians 2, the divide between Jew and Gentile, God's people, the Jews, and everyone else. And he said he's abolished that. And so in Christ, in Jesus, by his sacrifice, we're all one. And there may be failings along the way, but the church won't fail. And actually, his news is better than that. Um, looking at this, for um, it's funny how things strike you and you probably go off topic uh, quicker than you should. Um, the first thing that struck me studying this passage was uh, there's a metaphor in the Old Testament uh, that's never spelt out, but it's there between the tabernacle and the temple. The tabernacle is the temple. It's just the same. Everything that happens in the temple happens in the tabernacle. But it's imperfect. It's a tent. Um, I love tents, but um, there's nothing grand or wonderful about a tent. Um, I have a tent, and it's about this high. And for one night in a row, it's a great place to uh, travel up a mountain and pitch it about 20 miles from anyone else. But I wouldn't want to live in it. Um, and the temple is this huge building with bricks that weigh tons and gold like you've never seen it. Um, this happens with the church. Uh, the church now, how we see it, is the tabernacle. It's God's ta temple on the move, spread across the world in exile, if you like. 
Um, but it's actually a picture of what's to come, which is uh, God's church in heaven, the t- temple, everything made perfect for canvas, replaced for cut stone. God's people dressed in white, without the sin or the blemish, um, no longer open to any corruption. Um, and the dwelling, um, if God dwells in his church, um, there's still a sense when, uh, you know when you can feel the presence of God and you know when you go weeks and you feel so distant. In heaven it says there'll be no sun because the city is lit by the glory of God dwelling in its midst. In heaven, God's glory will be with us uh, all the time. um, In heaven, the loneliness that uh, caused God to write marriage will be gone. And... uh, Jesus will be our total perfection with us all the time. We'll never feel far from God. We'll never feel lonely or um, excluded. That was always my fear about heavens. Sat at the back, everyone else having the party, and I'll be on the naughty step. Uh, you can come in, but you're not to enjoy it. Um, um, that's not the case of heaven. Um, Heaven is God's people brought together to enjoy him as he was meant to be enjoyed. And that's our goal. And when we see the church and we see its failings and we think, why do I bother with that? Actually, we're to look and see what God's got in store for it, what God's plan for the church is. And to an extent, that should also be our model for how we want to do church here that we should dwell in unity together and we should dwell in holiness and we should hold each other up. A community under God, surrounded or surrounding God's presence, built on Jesus. But our hope isn't for a church that fails. Our hope isn't for um, just this. Our hope is for heaven. I rather left off the application. Um, <laughs> the application is, you are God's temple. You're not going to make it alone. Um, you can't sing that and go and live a week, a month by yourself and expect to be changed from glory into glory. And I want to praise God as I should. And we're not going to do that walking side by side, not talking, not bearing one another up. And I need you to bear me up and you need me to bear you up. We are God's holy temple made holy by his Lamb. And we want to be looking forward to that. So, Father, come and give us the strength to stand together. Pour your spirit out on us. Lord, I want to be changed. I want to be made glorious. I want to stand before you spotless. 
and I want that for everyone here. Lord, come.